ATV Talk, the podcast presents Inspired. Sit down with your host, Leonard Duncan, as he interviews men and women whose stories are so inspirational that they need to be shared. Hopefully, their stories may inspire you and create a change. Mondays at 5 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. And remember, dream big. It could be your story one day. GBC Power Sports Tires, a division of Green Ball Corp, has been producing industry-leading tires for ATV side-by-side market for over 25 years, with tires like Mongrel, Dirt Devil, Terramaster, XC Master, Dirt Commander, and Groundbuster. They have a tire for your application. Top racers from GNCC, Works, and Best in the Desert rely on GBC Power Sports Tires. So why shouldn't you? Go check them out at gbctires.com to see the full line of tires they offer. Thank you very much. GPR Stabilizer, a leader in steering dampener technology, brings you the new Q5 Sport ATV Dampener with better control and handling with an upgraded vane and seal system. Go check it out today, www.gprstabilizers.com or call 619-661-0101. Don't forget to tell them ATV Talk Sandy. Sherry Kukla, thank you very much for spending some time with off our ATV Talk. And you are the editor for SNS Off-Road Magazine. If I get it correct or incorrect, please clarify. Yes, um, my husband and I are the co-editors of that and also the co-publishers. We've been doing that since 1982. Originally, it was called San Diego Off-Roader. Then we gravitated to San Diego Off-Road. And then in 2010, we dropped to San Diego and just took the SNS from our names and we're SNS Off-Road and people are uh, more interested in reading it now because they don't think it's just about San Diego. <laughs> that's, that's true. That's true. And what got you started in making the magazine? Uh, it was 1982. Uh, we grew up in the South Bay in Chula Vista. And I don't know if you probably remember South Bay Speedway. That was then called Speedway Park 117. Um, Steve had just gotten his first little short course uh, race off-road car. It was a Funko. And they were putting on some sportsman racing up there. I think it was like on Sunday afternoons for 25 bucks. It was a, a great way to go have some fun. They were not getting the kind of response they needed to get from the off-road community so that they can continue doing it. We went to a meeting with the promoters and, and some of the other people, and they were all, you know, kind of brainstorming ideas how to get more people there. And Steve and I kept talking about it after we got home and we just came up with the idea, well, Hey, let's start like a newsletter about it and we can, you know, let people know about it. And that's really how we got started was just trying to help promote those races because Steve wanted to keep racing and needed somebody to race against to be able to do it. So it, it just kind of took off. You know, we put everything we could think of in the first 12 page issue. And then we were like, what are we going to do next month? <laughs> but we've managed to come up with stuff every month now for 38, you know, plus years. 
and and did you do any type of writing before you did the magazine or was it just spur of the moment? Um, you mean writing, um, with a pencil, not riding a motorcycle. You're talking about writing, writing, you know? Yes. Yes. Writing was actually uh, my big interest. So it, it was a good match for Steve and I, because he was the one actively involved in the sport. I, dabbled in it a little bit, but I'm not very good or very courageous. And, but writing was definitely my thing. And in high school and in junior high school, I was in journalism and on the newspapers. So that was definitely my area of interest. My background with um, my mom and my grandpa was in the printing and typesetting field. So you know, we, we just kind of fell into it. My mom had all of the typesetting equipment. She had alphabet factory, which she did some work for Duncan racing years ago, the price sheets and, and maybe catalogs or something. So we had all the equipment ready made right there, you know, to at our fingertips to be able to start putting the publication together. And back then, was it, was it more of a labor of love or was there any, any type of profit in it? Uh, in the beginning, no, there was no profit. There was, there was enough to pay the expenses. We didn't have to put any of our own money into it, which was good because any extra money we had was going into the motorcycles and the race cars. And so we always were able to make enough to cover the expenses. And then probably, I don't know, eight, 10 years into it, we realized Oh, well, we're actually going to make some money off of this. And and I quit the job I was doing and then it became my full-time job. And then when we moved to the desert in 2004, Steve quit doing, he was a painting contractor and he quit doing that. And we pretty much just relied on the magazine's income. Wow. That's so it worked out well. So you've talked to, so many different people throughout the years in the the magazine industry uh, or the end off-roading industry. Um, tell me about some of the stories that you've heard and some of the people that you've uh, got to interview. Ooh, wow. That's a big one. Um, well, probably the first, you know, well-known person that I interviewed would have been Ivan Stewart and, you know, he invited us to his home. And so we interviewed him and then, and then I got to meet his wife and talk with her and found out she had her own interesting story and, you know, behind the scenes um, involvement with the racing. And so we did a whole feature on him. And then the next month we did a feature on her, but, you know, for the most part, the people that we feature in the magazine, they're, they're just the regular off-road people. They're not the famous people that are out there. You know, they're, they're who our readers are. And in fact, our slogan is, um, that, uh, what is our slogan? (laughs) I kind of forgot it, but it's something about, um, where the reader, the magazine for the readers, that they're the most important. So we really try to focus on getting them to send things in. We want to know their stories. We're not out there to cover the people that are getting covered in every other, 
you know, every other publication that's out there. So I think we're for the, the regular guy. And I know that the scary thing for me was just getting started trying to sell advertising. And I remember the first, um, one of the first places that we went to, well, you remember Daryl Smith sand tires. Yes. And so they wanted, he wanted an ad and we were in his shop and he said that he wanted to put a picture in the ad and that kind of panicked me. Excuse me. This is back in, excuse me. 1982. It isn't like you had all the computer equipment, you know, where it's no problem to snap a picture. And I was getting ready to say, I don't know if we can put a picture in there. And and Steve spoke up and he goes, no problem. He goes, just give us the picture that you want. And on the way out, remember we were walking to our truck and I told Steve, I don't know how to put a picture in an ad. And he said, well, we'll ask your mom. She'll know how, because she had the typesetting business. So that's pretty much how we you know, how we got started. We didn't really know what we were doing, except like I said, a little bit of the high school journalism, but we met a lot of, of neat people. And, um, one of our, our very first ad we ever sold was house of buggies. They were in downtown San Diego. And then, um, then we had Daryl Smith and I know your dad with Danny's machine works, he came in early on, maybe not the very first issue, but probably within the first six months. And it was just really exciting to get support from the local community because especially the first time we had nothing to show them except for some handwritten notes. We just showed up at these shops and said, here's what we want to do. And would you like to get an ad? And we were, we were imagining that we'd sell these little one inch ads for, I think it was like $10 or something. And, and then before we went anywhere, we, we said, well, we better figure out some rates for maybe a larger ad, like maybe a half page ad. What if somebody wants a half page? What do we do? And that's what everybody was taking was the half page ads. I think they were $50 or something. And it was, it was exciting. So right. as far as um, being able to name people, I can't really think of anybody right off. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> but you've got to cover most all the the events that have been held in the San Diego area all the way from district 38 to the Del Mar flat track races and, and so on. Right. And thankfully over the years, we've, we've just um, met a lot of people who wanted to contribute material because, you know, we can't get out there and, and do all of that ourselves as well as try to do the production and all the behind the scenes, you know, um, administrative work that goes with it. And so we've met a lot of really wonderful photographers, I'd say, you know, amateur photographers that that shoot photos that look professional, but they're in it because they love it. And so they send their photos to us and and it's just worked out and and it's sad we've seen a number of people that we worked with that have passed away um over the years. Carlos Avina with CNC Race Photos shot District 38 photos for a long time. Um, Harold Soans, he was one of the presidents of the San Diego Coalition, but we first met him. He did photography out at District 38 even before Carlos. And so it's just been really nice. And, and as one person either got out of it or sadly passed away, there have been other people that have come in and filled the gap. And then we've met people, um, mostly when I say we've met them, it's online. The District 38 ones we, we know and, you know, in person, but we've met people that go to the, the snore races, the more, 
the off-road desert races for the cars. And so we've met them through the internet, through social media, and gotten really good working relationships with them. And, and they're happy to get their photos in print. And then hopefully they are able to sell some to the racers from the exposure that they get with us. And it's we just really appreciated all of the, the people contributing material to us. Another thing that we started doing, um, will you remember for years in October, we would have the annual Back to the Desert issue where readers would send in all of their photos. And boy, that was massive labor when in the days when they had to actually mail us the physical photos and I had to individually scan every photo and we'd get, you know, two or 300 photos. So those issues took so much time to put out. When we finally realized that it's a really popular thing for the readers to see their own pictures in there. And so then we gradually evolved to where every month of the year we have a special reader feature. And I think that's one of the things that people really like. They get to see the pictures of themselves and their friends. And for instance, in March, the reader feature was um, people in the pits. And so you're getting you're getting to acknowledge all of the people in the background that get that racer out on the track. We have off-road kids, off-road moms and dads, off-road families, and just a variety. We have one feature that's really popular just called stuck with an exclamation point. And everybody gets to send in all those photos that they weren't having any fun when they were taking the photos, but they're a lot of fun to look back on all the different ways people have gotten stuck, you know, at off-road events or in the desert. So we, we really encourage readers to take part in it. I think I have a photo for you for that. Okay. Okay. It's we do more. that in. Oh, is it? Yep. <laughs> I'm going to need, you know, uh, I'm going to need written permission from him that it's okay to print it. No. I'll tell you a funny story. Like we're not going to, we're not, we're not going to tell him we're doing this. We're not going to tell him. Oh dear. Okay. We had a photographer one time years ago, probably in 1983 or 84. He brings us a picture of this, um, an ATV rider. Well, back when we called them ATCs, the three-wheelers. And this guy was crashing just in this major way. And the caption the photographer wrote is, so-and-so shows why he's a pro. So I said to the photographer, is this guy going to be fine with this? I didn't know the guy. And I just had met the photographer. And he goes, oh, yeah, he's got a great sense of humor. Turns out, no, he didn't have a great sense of humor. And the photographer was doing that to him on purpose. And uh, we heard about it. <laughs> so I'll, I'll look forward to seeing Lauren's picture, though. And you can assure me that's not going to happen, though, right? Oh, yeah. He'll be mad at me, not you. Oh, okay. Okay. He loves, he loves you. He never get, he would never get mad at you for anything, but yeah, he'd know that I did it, <laughs> that I did it. Just okay. Um, I would never send you a photo of me stuck for sure. <laughs> oh, that's funny. That's well, funny. you know, it's just yeah. the brotherly love thing going on, you know? Exactly. Yeah. Well, yeah. I don't know if you remember, you probably do cause it's not been very long ago, but the very first, uh, any type of publication or any information given out about ATV talk was done by you. Oh, was it? Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. That's we, awesome. we were super, super new. I think that we only had our first or our second episode out and you and I were talking at the shop. Um, 
over at Duncan Racing, and uh, I had mentioned it, and you told me to send you over some information, and I did. And um, the next thing I know, it was in the ad. Uh, it was in the ad for uh, that that magazine, the one that was published right then. And That's it was in- right. That's awesome. I remember that it was the lead article in our Dirt Bits column. Yes, yeah. I remember that. And we have the um, we have the um, ATV Talk embedded on our website. But I was telling you that it wasn't updated since November. And I think I figured out what the problem is. And I sent our web people a new embed code. So it should repopulate. And all of the current ones should should show up on there. So people are on our website, they can access it too. Our our website is ssorm.com. And when they go on there, then they'll they'll also see a link to ATV Talk. That's so awesome. Thank you very much for that. Um, our, families have, our families have been intertwined for a very long time, since probably 82, 80, 83. Well, yeah, I remember when you uh, your dad's shop was over on Prospect, and I would come there, and I think you and Lauren maybe were still in high school. Yeah, uh, we were. Lauren graduated in 82, I graduated in 84. Okay. Okay. So Lauren was already out or he was graduating. He was graduating probably when you were starting to come around and and we were both working there during that time. Yeah. Cause I would remember, I remember when I would go there that you would both be there with your dad. So yeah. You don't, you don't remember how cool those days were until you think back on it. What we Uh got to do as teenagers, especially inexperienced young teenagers, um, kind of sets the tone for where it all has evolved to, um, in our, in our lives now. I mean, we're, we're very blessed. We still get to work with dad. Yeah, that is pretty wonderful. And, and I think over the years, periodically, we've had some articles about him. I know some pictures. I know, uh, recently, thought we did something in our blast from the past blast from the past column and it was commemorating i think one of his birthdays in the last few years or something lauren sent pictures in and was this last year yeah is that when it was yeah Yeah, it was a real privilege to do that because your dad has such a long history in this sport and a really great guy to work with and you know advertised with us back in the day when you know nobody knew who we were but and I don't think I had known about Danny's machine work. So he maybe reached out to me and then I went out there and, and I remember when he was explaining to me what the name meant, because I assumed it meant machine works. Like it's a machine shop and you know, you do machine work mm-hmm. in a machine shop. And he said it was because so many people talked about Danny's machine works when he built a machine for people. And that's, that was the source of what the name meant. So I thought that was really neat. Kind of had a double meaning. Exactly. It's kind of a bummer that you have to explain that sometimes, but it, his sense of humor is like that. You know, I mean, he uh-huh. always said it to everybody because all of my friends and all the people that I've known throughout the years always ask, we are a machine shop, right? And he goes, no, it's Danny's machine <laughs> works. You know, yes. then when he says it broke down like that, then they get it and go, oh, okay, I get it. Yeah, yeah. And I think I'm pretty sure that back then in the mid 80s, we did a, a feature article on the business. And that was when I was going out and 
doing the pictures myself with my little tiny camera because I'm not a photographer. I and think, and I think I remember interviews. That. Yeah. And, and writing the article. And, and that was pretty fun being able to feature the advertisers. And that's probably when he explained to me what the, t- what, you know, what the name actually meant. And so it's just been um, really great to work with you guys over the years. So that's a, that's a long time to work together. And, and then um, Lauren gave the business to my mom's business for a long time with, you know, the typesetting of, of Duncan Racing's material. And so it's been really great to work with you guys. It is awesome. We're we're one of many companies, though, that you've spent an, a large number of years with, aren't we? Uh, yes. Uh, Race Ready Products has been with us since pretty much since day one when they opened the doors. And I can't remember right off what year it was, but that would have been, I think, in the 80s. I remember it was exciting getting the call from him. We had met him, met Bob Hummel at um when fud started the superstition series when he added race cars to the district 38 area and that's where we first met bob hummel and um steve had come out we just we just went out to kind of support the very first ever car race that was happening in the plaster city area and while we were there steve met a friend that he knew from high school and and this was a night race because it was in august in the desert (laughs) and um so his friend said hey you want to do one lap with me and and steve said yeah and he told me and i don't think we were really down there equipped to camp or anything we just kind of drove down for the evening to see what was going on and he told me okay i'm gonna take a lap with this guy and i you know we should be back in an hour or whatever. I think they were gone all night. The car broke down. (laughs) (laughs) And so that one lap lasted a long time, but I'm pretty sure that's when we met Bob Hummel. And then probably not long after that, he started race ready and gave us a call and wanted to advertise. And, and so that was great. And Daryl Smith was one of the first ones in, but then he's been out. I don't, I'm not sure if there's a Daryl Smith Santires right now, but I know as long as he owned it, he advertised with us, you know, for the the lifetime of the business that he was the owner. I believe it sold. And I think the new owner advertised with us for a while, but somewhere I lost touch with them. And it's been really great. The advertisers that once they come in have just stayed with us for many, many years and even some that have come in in the last 10 or 12 years just continue to stay with us. That's probably true of 80% of the ads that we have. And then the other 20 are kind of hit and miss, or maybe there are people that came in and then their businesses didn't last. Back in 08, when we had the recession hit, we lost all of our sand car companies and the toy hauler companies. So that was a bad year for those people. We were getting, it seemed like every other month we were getting a bankruptcy notice, you know, from, from some of those companies, but it was a difficult time. Yeah. We all, and thankfully, we all suffered a little. Yeah. Yeah. Thankfully. Well, and Steve had the foresight back then to tell me that um, we needed to rework the size of the pages and, you know, looking for ways to cut the printing costs back when we were doing our traditional printing on the web press and I remember telling him, you know how much work that is to rework every single ad in the magazine, you know, to take down the margins a couple of inches to save money. And 
And he just real casually said, well, it's your choice. You know, you can either do that or we can go out of business. <laughs> I go, you know, I think I'll do that. I think I'll readjust <laughs> all those ads. <laughs> and then that what's happened to us with the, um, the COVID thing of, I mean, we hate COVID every way we can, and especially wearing masks and all of that. But a blessing has come out of it because that's when a year ago, can't believe it's already been a year now, just 11 months. That's when we transitioned from the traditional print that we had done for years to the super digital format. I call it super digital because it sounds more exciting than just saying digital. And we were so excited to go from running 30 to 40 pages to all of a sudden we can run 100 pages in full color, where before it was so expensive, every page of color that you ran. We only ran maybe 12 or 16 pages of color. So to me, that was super digital. And I wasn't really planning on having the print uh, book available on Amazon. But some readers that had been with us for years, they said, well, is there any way we can get a printed copy of the super digital? Well, we had discovered Amazon publishing because we had also started publishing some novels for kids with an, you know, in an off-road setting. So I thought, well, I could probably put the magazine on Amazon the same way I upload the novels. And we did that. And that's turned out to be real popular. So we have 11 months of the super digital in book format on Amazon. And and we're selling them every day. It's really nice. And, and you'll see like, you know, just today, I noticed somebody bought some from August. And, and so it's that's a benefit too in our traditional print. They would print, you know, X number of copies. Once those copies were gone, they're gone. You're never going to get them again. Well, on Amazon, now they're there forever. I guess as long as Amazon's there, you can go back and you can order um, printed copies from a year ago or six months ago. And and that will just continue. And they're high quality printing. I was really surprised when the very first one we put on Amazon, when it became live, I ordered a copy right away so that I could see it. And I was really impressed with the quality of the, excuse me, the quality of the color printing. Did you save a copy of every edition printed? I have um, 90% of them, 90 to 95%. Yeah. And in fact, that's one of the things we did in the, in the very beginning when, you know, there was the shutdown and you, Nobody was open. You just hardly couldn't go anywhere. My granddaughter and I went through 38 years worth of magazines because over the years I would try to get them in order, but then I'd pull something out to look for something. And next thing you know, they're all out of order. She and I went through the, all of them. And some of them, we had way too many copies. We had 25 or 30 copies per issue. So we purged them all. And I think we're down to uh, one to two copies of every issue since September, 1982, except for the few that we were completely out. Oh, I'll tell you, there's actually almost the whole year of, um, I think 2016 were out because when Trump became president in 2017, and then you go into that next desert season, the attendance in the desert just exploded way beyond what we expected. And all of our distribution points that were near, especially Ocotillo Wells and also the sand dunes, we couldn't keep the racks stocked. 
And we were going back and pulling out issues that were three months, four months, six months, a year or two years old, trying to keep the racks stocked for the big holiday weekends that we weren't expecting, especially like New Year's and Thanksgiving. So I did, I had forgotten about that until we were organizing, you know, these 38 years. And I'm like, how come this whole year we don't even have one copy? And that was why. So that was kind of a good problem. It amazed me that people were picking these up out of the rack when they were a couple of years old, but they're still going and, and, you know, they can still see the people's ads. And so that's, that's really, that was a really wonderful thing. I have a few hard copies on the counter and, you know, left and they still, you know, Uh often they're taking one of those. So my stack is dwindling, but you know, I still have a couple of the last few that you printed and, uh, yeah, people do do grab them and read them. And it's like the people that know, take it. Yeah. Oh, that's good. That's good to know. And I do still get like yesterday, I got a Facebook message, somebody asking me, where can I pick these up in San Diego? And then I have to tell them, you know, I'm sorry, they're not available everywhere free. I mean, you know what? I'm sort of sorry. And I'm sort of not because when they were free, I mean, we were paying for them. They weren't free to everybody. They cost us, you know, a fortune to print them and give them away. And so now if somebody wants a printed copy, they're paying for it. It's not me, you know, it's not us footing the printing bill. They're paying for it and we're getting a little bit off of Amazon, you know, for what they bought. And so that's, we like that a lot. (laughs) And I, I'm not sure the readers and the advertisers might have been as accepting of this transition if we hadn't have done it during a time where everything's changing for everyone, you know, once COVID started. Because I know over the years, like when Cycle News went out of print, I don't know what that was, five, 10 years ago, maybe. And then um, a few other publications went to digital and we would have people ask you, are you going to transition to digital? Oh, no, we'd say we're always going to be print. We're always going to be there. Of course, we didn't anticipate COVID coming. But um, so I didn't think we would ever do it. But now that we've done it, it's much better for us. And it's not as physically labor intensive because even though we had a distributor that we used for all of our San Diego locations, we had tried several people that didn't work out in the the desert, the Imperial County area. And because we live out here, we were doing that ourselves. And I do not miss doing that. So doing (laughs) it on digital and then people can log on to Amazon and buy a copy. And I know it's a lot more expensive for them than it was the other way, but they're getting a lot better product too. So I think it's worth it. And you're, you're, they can Read it online, no problem. Yes. Or they can buy it and have it the print copy come to them and read it that way. That's right. Yeah. And I would clarify something you said. Read it online, no problem. Uh, no problem for 30, 40, and under, but <laughs> the older people, they're not, they're not. And I mean, and I'm up there, I'm we're in our 60s. Um, mid sixties. And so some of them don't really like that. And I had one reader, you know, he, he didn't like it. I talked to him about how to do it. You know, we put out information on our website. We mailed out a postcard with information about how to read the digital, where you can enlarge it, 
the really awesome thing about digital, you can search. Like if you wonder if your name's in any of the race results, you open an issue and up in the search bar, you type your name and it'll show you right away if you're in the magazine anywhere. That's really awesome. So we were teaching them all that. And then, but then I had one long time subscriber and he said, no, he, you know, he just didn't want to read it that way. So he was just not going to be able to read it anymore. So I told him about the Amazon and he said, and I go, we now have something called a premium subscription and it's $105 for six months or it's $210 for a year where before we were $16 for a year. So the gentleman said, no, you know, I, that's out of my budget. I'm not going to do that. I said, well, tell you what, just, you've been subscribing for so long. I'm just going to give you one for free. I'm going to order you one issue off Amazon, send it to you and see what you think. A few days after he got it, he bought the year long premium subscription for $210 because he wanted to keep getting it every month. Once he saw, you know, what it, what it's like, it's like triple the amount of pages. They're all color and, and we're still the same thing, only, you know, a whole lot better. If you'd have known a few years ago what you know now, would you have transitioned then? I might have, but, you know, at the same time, like I said, I don't know if advertisers and readers would have been as willing to accept it. I don't know. That's a good question. Um, I've just been thankful that they've accepted it. One one way to transition the advertisers over is we did adjust our advertising rates and and um, lowered those to make it still seem appealing. You know that I know we can't mail you a print copy every month so you can see your ad, or we can't give you a stack to keep on your counters. You know to give it to your customers, but we want you to stay in. The other benefit to the advertisers is. There, there's live website links. So their ad, if people click on their ad, it'll take them right to their website. And if they have videos about their products or their racers, we can embed videos right into the ads and the articles. And that's really fun too, because then we've done that on a few of the races that the photographers has supplied us videos for. And so then, you know, you click to the next page to open it up in digital and a live video starts playing. So it's got a lot of benefits and, and I think that people are adjusting to it. I hope at least if they're really mad about it, they're not telling me. <laughs> do you do a lot of the tech or do you have somebody helping you with that? I would say that it's me doing it. Yes. Um, I, well, I set up the pages in InDesign, which is what we've always used. Well, you know, in the last 10 years, that's what we've used to produce the magazine. And then thankfully, you're just able to download it in a, the right PDF format. So then you can upload it to the digital company. So there's not really a whole lot more steps that I have to take from the way I was publishing the magazine before. Now then to, I downloaded in a different PDF format to upload to Amazon. The problem there is Amazon is a lot more particular than the web press that we had been working with. We had great people at Advanced Web Offset in Vista, California. They were awesome to work with. We've been printing with them for, I think like 16 years. If I had something a little bit off, maybe a, a margin was a little messed up or something, they would fix it for me. It was great. Amazon won't do that. 
they just send me back a reject. You have to, you know, you have to redo this, redo this, redo this. Your margins aren't right here. And so the first few months I was getting to understand the Amazon thing, I was having to re-upload that thing 10 and 15 times. I sit here like pulling my hair out, trying to get it uploaded. I finally figured out they're so sensitive with their rules on their margins. But now I set my margins bigger than what they ask for. And so, and I've just really learned to, to examine every single page with a fine tooth comb. So in some ways, it's a little bit more complicated than sending the finished product to the printer in the old way. And I'm sure if my printer's listening, he'll be really glad and he'll be saying, I told you, Sherry, you shouldn't have left us because that was hard on them. We had a, we had a really good working relationship with them and to have to tell the, our distributor, our mailing house, our printer that we've been working with for years that we're going to stop. It was difficult. You know, it was like saying goodbye to a friend. So I feel like I've finally got it dialed in with Amazon. This issue, the March issue I uploaded was the quickest that it ever went live. It went live in one day, as opposed to in some months, it took us 10 days to get it right and get it live and, and available for purchase on Amazon. So there's been a learning curve definitely to go from publishing the you know the traditional way for 37 years and then this last year transitioning over to digital um there's been some things to learn do you do most of your article writing like via zoom meeting like we're doing now uh with the people that you're gonna feature in the magazine or is it done emails things like that yeah it's all emails and as far as um, I don't even do interviews anymore, I just I don't have the time for that. And thankfully, we've met so many different people along the way. We have a lot of organizations that use us to get the word out. The um, Oceano, let's see, Friends of Oceano Dunes, I think it's called. They submit articles every month about what's going on up at Oceano, which also is known as Pismo. And then the San Diego Off-Road Coalition uses us for their news. And we just recently, they've only discovered us since I think we went digital as a San Diego Jeep club, and they send an article in each month. So we have a lot of people that submit the articles. And then we're on the, the press, rele press release list for a lot of different companies and race organizations. And everything does come by email. So that's how we get everything. Wow. That's, that's a big change. Yes. Yeah. You know yeah. A lot of, a lot of changes over the years. Well, it's a lot better than having to drive everywhere. I admit, especially since we live in Ocotillo Wells. <laughs> Do you miss the interview portion where you write an article about a specific individual and put it out there? Um, I shouldn't say this, but no, I don't miss it at all. I'm kind of a, I just want to be at my desk doing my own thing, you know, working behind the scenes sort of person. I'm not someone that has to be out there talking to people. And I actually have to kind of talk myself into it when it's time to do that back in the day. Now we have started something and I'm thinking about, I'm thinking about expanding this. We do have something called the do it yourself vehicle feature where we can feature vehicles where, you know, back in the 80s, we would go out, take the pictures of the vehicles, write the article. 
Um, but now people can go on our website if they go on ssorm.com. And I think the link at the top is the about us link. There's a drop down menu. <clears throat> There's a, an option that says get your vehicle in the magazine. And they can click on that and there's guidelines for how they can do the vehicle feature themselves. There's a questionnaire for them to fill out. And then we tell them what kind of photos we want. And we've had quite a few vehicle features we've been able to do with that. Oh, and I have it with the advertisers, which I need to send that link to Lauren because we took those pictures when we were at your shop. And then I'm thinking about starting something like that also maybe for racers if they want to get a race profile in. And then that way it's not using up our time because especially <clears throat> once we moved to the desert and we started doing the off-road camp for kids and the magazine. And then a year and a half ago, we started book publishing and, and I'm writing those books that we're publishing. And so it's just kind of like there's zero spare time anywhere. And so I, I, even if I wanted to do interviews, I just wouldn't have time, but I think I'm going to set something up though, so that we can have some do-it-yourself people interviews too. And I, I, I think like people that. like that. I like it. I like it. I want to hear more about your camp. The camp. Okay. The camp that we haven't been able to do since COVID started. Um, it's called Thundering Trails. And we started that in 2006. And it, the point is to bring out kids from disadvantaged backgrounds to come out and have an off-road camping experience. So <clears throat> they would come out. Uh, we, we, we've kind of gone through some transitions on the camp in the last couple of years. I'm going to tell you how we did it the first 11 years. We would rent a van in San Diego and pick up kids. Sometimes Steve and I drove. Sometimes we had other drivers that would do it. And we'd pick up the kids. We would have girls camp one month, the boys camp the next month. Pick up about mm, 10 to 12 kids. So let's say 8 to 12 kids. And bring them out and just kind of give them a desert camping experience. We started off with mini bikes. Um ended up getting rid of those and going up to little 50s, 50cc and 70cc Hondas because um, they were much more reliable. Steve was just um, driving himself nuts with the maintenance on those mini bikes. And so the kids come out, they get to hike, camp, have a campfire. Many of them, uh, when we were bringing the kids from the inner city, many of them never sat around a campfire, never saw the stars up in the desert. Um, quite a few of them had a parent in prison. Um, maybe they were in transitional shelters. And we just tried to give them the desert camping experience that we gave our kids when they were growing up and we were taking them to the desert. And we would have treasure hunts. <clears throat> we would do uh, chapel service and um, have a lot of good food because we don't know some of these kids. We don't know what their situation is, what kind of food they're used to eating. So we tried to make the kind of meals that Steve and I grew up eating, you know, meatloaf and pot roast and baked potatoes. And I remember one time, and I emphasize one time, I never did this again. Uh, we had an entire Thanksgiving meal and we had not very many staff members available that weekend because it was Thanksgiving weekend. So I think it was Steve and I and maybe two other people were helping us. Sometimes we have as much as six other people helping us. And I prepared an entire Thanksgiving dinner with the turkey 
in addition to trying to run this camp for, you know, two days, three days and two nights. And the kids really loved it, but I never did that again. <laughs> that was, that was a little <laughs> bit too much. And um, we try to just make sure that they really have a lot of fun and that they can amazes me that Steve would get these kids. So we divide them in two groups so that uh, you didn't have all of them riding at once. Well, one group's riding. The other group is doing crafts or hiking or playing games. They get a lot of interaction with adults, just sitting down and playing a game with them or doing Legos or something like that. But what I was going to say about what amazes me that Steve does, he'll get five kids never ridden and give them instructions how to ride. And then he and a helper are usually on quads following the kids on the two wheels. They, they do the quads there. His preference is to ride motorcycles, but at camp, he does a quad because, you know, if he needs to get off and help the child, the quad will just sit there and won't fall over. And so Steve would usually lead and there would be someone to bring up the rear. And it would just amaze me that he could teach these kids in like 20 minutes and then they get on and, and they go. And it was, we have a little course set out on our property. We've got 50 acres here in the desert. Um, the kids course is on about a 10 acre parcel. I think, I think I heard him tell someone it's maybe a half mile or a mile. I'm not sure. And, um, to see the improvement in them, they ride three times. There are 20 minute sessions and they get three 20 minute sessions throughout the day. And it's so amazing to see the change in how they do on the first 20 minute session to the third 20 minute session. Big improvement. One time, and thankfully this only happened one time, I happened to be down there watching where he starts them. It's the only time I was watching, I think. All five kids took off. Um, we have a little straightaway where they take off. All five of them fell. <laughs> I thought, oh, no, what do you do now? They're all on the ground. But he got them up and going, and, and they just have a lot of fun. Um, sure. Did you have any uh, return guests as far as any return campers come back for a yes, second? Yes, we, we had lots of them. And we had a list of ones that won't be returning. <laughs> and so um, and so but that list was pretty small and yeah we and we tried to work with um fourth fifth and sixth grade that was our preference that was the size of bikes that we had we had a few parents kind of dishonest would sneak their third graders in and you could tell a difference um physically they they weren't as strong as the older kids and they would struggle to try to ride, you know, the size vehicles that we had. And then in, um, in the last year or two before COVID, we kind of had a transition. We, we didn't have our van driver anymore. And by now we were like 10 or 12 years older than when we started the camp and we're enthusiastic would drive San Diego, rent a van, bring the kids out, do the whole camp, drive them back, you know, get our truck and drive back home. Then we we thought we don't want to do that again, and so we transitioned to bringing kids in from some lower income desert communities out this way, <clears throat> and that didn't really work. And the first thing we did, we discovered we can't do overnight camps with these kids who are having a lot of behavior problems, and um, then we, we switched to just like a one day camp where we did a 10 hour camp 
And we pretty much packed almost a weekend's worth of activities in that 10 hours. <clears throat> but it just isn't working bringing kids from the desert. I think part of the problem is they're used to this area. When you bring the kids from the city, they they come from all over San Diego, so they don't know each other. So they come out and they're nervous. And that's good because if they're too comfortable, then they're too likely to start misbehaving and causing problems. And when you brought the kids from the desert, they're used to the desert environment. They all know each other because they pretty much all came from the same school. And they just they brought in all of their drama that they already had with each other. And camp wasn't as fun. Plus, we started getting some older kids. And, and so we were talking about once COVID's over completely, because we don't want to have to mess with someone asking us if we sanitize this or sanitize that, or did we make the kids social distance? We just want to wait till this is completely over. I'm optimistic that that is going to happen one of these days. I think we're going to try to go back to bringing the kids in from the city. I think that works better. And that's really what our our goal was in the beginning was the inner cities, you know, kids that don't get out to this area. And, and we hope to go back to what we started at. How did you... And the way we've been able to... Go ahead. How did you find uh, an outlet for the people to find you? I mean, did you go through a church? Did you go through this, the county? Uh, I mean, I don't know. Um, not the county. That's, that probably opens up a whole lot of red tape trying to go through the county. No, it was with a ministry. Um, we first worked with a ministry that was in El Cajon called Set Free. I'm not sure if they're still there. We had met the chaplain at that ministry through our church. And so he referred kids to us. And then after that, um, we were at the time we were attending Shadow Mountain Church in El Cajon. Um, and we got in touch with the deacon there who was part of the angel tree program, which is working with kids of prisoners. And so then he started referring kids to us. And so we, we were attending church in the desert for a while, but we just recently sent once COVID started and it shut down, we've started going back to the church in El Cajon. And I think after COVID's over, we're thinking about maybe getting in touch with him again and see if we can rekindle that relationship. And, and find out if they want to bring some kids out and do it that way. That's incredible. That's awesome. I think that... And the way we've been able to do it all of these years since 2006 is by generous off-road um, enthusiasts and businesses who've made donations because the kids don't pay to come to camp. And we've, we've always been covered with our, um, our donations. And that's been really great. And we are... Um, a 501c3, so they're tax deductible, the donations that people make. And, and that's been really awesome over the years that they've done that. And the kids, we have a program like a sponsorship program where they can pay, I think it's $250 to actually sponsor a child. And if they do that, then they get a letter from the child and a camp picture. Because we always do, uh, kids get to take home a camp poster that's got like a group shot of all the kids that were there. And then a lot of individual shots of the activities that went on. And so the camp sponsors get to have a letter from the kids and excuse me, those letters are, they're really fun to read. It's funny though. The girls write these long flowing letters, the boys like, thank you. I had fun. 
And so you had to tell them, you know, your letter has to have at least four sentences and you have to tell them what you did that was fun. <laughs> and so it's, it's really uh, rewarding when each camp was over. One of my favorite things to do after it was ordered over besides sleep was to read the sponsor letters because that, really, um, that was really fun to do. I cannot believe that you don't have a bigger group of people being enthusiastic about it. I mean, I know that the, that the off-road industry itself is sponsoring it, but I can't believe that there's mm-hmm. not outside groups that are blowing this up because you're giving these kids an experience in their lives that they may never experience again. Yes, that's, that's true. That's true. Well, you know, and I've only ever reached out to the off-road community. I've only ever, you know, kind of sent emails soliciting donations. And the really neat thing is um, in the last couple of years, I haven't even sent out one donation email and especially not last year. And, and we have some people that have, you know, made some generous donations that are, are still coming in. And, and so, that's been nice. That's we, awesome. we don't ever have, you know, a ton of money in the bank, but we've also never had to cancel a camp because we didn't have the money. So it was always there. There was, I can think of two times that we had a camp scheduled and the money wasn't really there, you know, to cover all the expenses. Cause you had insurance, van rental, the bathroom rental, all the food you know, parts for the bikes and, and, um, the crafts and all of that. And I called up, um, two different times I called up the business and said, would you like to do a full camp sponsorship for, I think it was $2,500. And then you get your logo on the camp poster. So we did that a few times too. And then that worked out. People were very generous. That's so awesome. I don't think that the people here in San Diego realize how iconic you, your family is and the things that you do for our community, especially in the off-road industry, uh, beings that the ATV world didn't necessarily completely start here, but it grew here and it grew its mm-hmm. legs and its roots here. Um mm-hmm. I just don't believe that even the motorcycle people, the UTV people, and I know the ATV people don't realize how your magazine made our lives better. Yeah, you might be right there. You might be right. I I remember one time I was in a meeting um, with some people from the San Diego Off-Road Coalition. It was years ago. I'm sure whoever was in the meeting, probably not even a part of that group now. And they started talking about the history of the coalition and they dated it back to, oh, like the mid nineties and, and, you know, speaking with authority. And then I spoke up and I said, no, the coalition started in 1981. And I don't think this person believed me. And I said, we were their official newsletter starting in 1982 And this was long before we've again become their official newsletter, but this was long before it had started up again. I said for five or six years until the coalition actually went dormant um, for a number of years. And then it was resurrected in, in the nineties. So I think you're right. And, you know, part of that could be uh, me. I'm not like a big self promoter. And that's been one of the things that's been hard for me with the book publishing too 
we're doing this uh, series called Moto Mysteries that's um, for kids. I used to say it was for eight to 12 year olds. And now I say it's for age nine to 90 because a lot of adults are enjoying it. And it's it's got dirt bike riding main characters. And um, but I just find the promotion end of things is hard. I just I like to do the work and get it out there. But then I'm I kind of lagging. And, and now how do I go tell everyone how wonderful this is that I just did? I, I don't know. I guess it's modesty or something. You let the people know what you do or you put it out there and the people will tell you. You don't have to tell them. I do have something to tell you, though, um, of a mutual friend that we have. Um, his name's Larry. And you touched his heart in such a way, I think you changed his life. Um, you, oh, you turned, really? Wow. You turned a light on for him. You know exactly who I'm talking about. Um, and he is just a special man. And he spent a lot of time at District 38 racing, uh, racing four-wheelers and UTVs. He's also been a great servant to our community uh, for 30-some years. And um, passing that on, that he gave me this information, um, I've always already known that you were this kind of person. But but he was super touched by your generosity and, and your caring for him. And... Um, your family is, is pretty amazing. Uh, our family thinks of you as family. So (laughs) we're passing that word on that's, that's encouraging because that's, you know, I think if, if I had a goal for the magazine, it would be to encourage others. And I, I think that's why I really like to focus on getting the reader pictures in there you know, the race results of the people that go out and do it all and maybe are never going to walk home with the trophy, but they know they went out and did it. They tried, even if they broke down, they at least got out there and just give them some encouragement, you know, some recognition. And so that that's really um, encouraging to me to hear that someone shared that story with you. Oh, it was, um, it, it was lump in his throat, heartfelt whole nine yards. and. Um, you know, he, like I said, he's been a servant to our, to our community for 30 some years. I think, well, it might be more than that. I don't remember the exact amount of years. Might have, no, I think he said 43 years. Mm-hmm. And you know, wow. this person well, and you may not be putting two to two together right away, but it's okay. I'm not yet, but I'm going to lay awake tonight thinking about it. Is <laughs> um, it character in your book? Oh, oh, okay. You know, yes, I do. Oh, you know him? Yes, he's a special man. I met him. I met him thinking I was in trouble one day, and he was (laughs) stopping. He was just stopping in to ask questions, and uh, Uh we, we became friends. I don't get to speak to him very often, but but I think he's a pretty amazing guy. Yes. Yeah. He was super helpful. He helped with book one and he was super helpful. Well, we're going to, we're yeah. going to get him That's on how I got to know him. Yeah. We're oh, gonna that'll be show. Yeah. Um, I'm going to want to listen to that. Yeah. Well, I don't know. He's in the process of transitioning his life uh, into uh, retirement and uh, moving back East. But. Uh, yeah, I saw that on Facebook. It stunned me. Yeah. I didn't know that that was coming up for him. Um, 
yeah, I guess, I guess with some of the things that have went on in the political uh, portion of, of his life in, in his job, he just said, got enough and said, I'm done. You know, that's exactly what we were thinking. Uh, he didn't get into the details with me and I really don't want to pry. Um, that's a portion of his life. And, uh, he's a pretty, like I said, I keep saying he's an amazing guy. When we get him on the show, people will really realize it's what, what I'm trying to say is I don't think that the off road community realizes what you do. And maybe not the, the, how you impact people's lives. And hopefully by featuring you on ATV talk in our small little audience and community that we have going, uh, the, the people in San Diego or the people out of San Diego that listen are well worldwide that listen, will will uh, be able to reach out to your magazine and, uh, you might get to see some of the love that you've given, given back. Well, that'd be awesome. I would love that. Yes. Thank you for that thought. No, no problem. Uh, Sherry, I want to extend an invitation to you to come back on the show anytime, anytime that you have an update for us. Um, I would really like it if you start your camps again to uh, reach out to ATV talk, because it's something that, that our family loves to do as far as give back to the community. And we would uh, uh, volunteer time or whatever we could to, um, help you guys out. Uh, I think that, Oh, I'll definitely get in touch with you then and let you know when that happens. And yeah, then I would, I would love to talk about it right now because we were kind of transitioning before COVID started. And then we shut down completely. Once it started, it's, it's a, it's a little bit hard to talk about it as enthusiastically as when we were you know doing it all of the time. And so I'd love to be able to talk about it once we get things worked out in our minds of how we're going to come back with it and target the kids that we set out to target. So, um, because it, it was so rewarding. We, we only had a handful of problems, maybe not even a handful. And, and the kids that had fun out here, it was just, it was really awesome. Some of them are adults now and we heard back from them as adults and they periodically check in with us. And, and that's really fun too, to know they still remember us, you know, they were, at camp in 2006, seven or eight. And yet now they're grown. And, and, um, that's been a really fun thing to hear from them then. Almost love to have them come back out and spend the day, you know, have like a reunion. (laughs) Yeah. That would be awesome. Have you guys thought of reaching out to the wounded warrior program at all? You know, uh, we, we do a lot of, um, publicity for some of the different veterans groups. Um, Warfighter Made is one that we get a lot of stuff from with Admiral Mike Shatensky's retired Admiral in the Navy. He's our contact there. He submits a lot of articles and material to us. And um, we always are very pro-veteran and like to do what we can to support the veterans. And I know there's a lot of off-road veteran groups. And so any of them out there, I would welcome them to get in touch with me if, you know, if they want to talk to us about getting material in. Or were you talking about from the magazine aspect or from the camp aspect? From the camp as- aspect, bringing a couple guys no, out or a, couple, a group out and letting them spend a weekend in 
you know, if they can't ride ATVs, ride in UTVs, um, you know, getting mm-hmm. them out in the desert to experience some of the desert life. Yeah, that's, that would be something to consider. I have to be careful somewhat. Um, you know, we have insurance and we have guidelines we have to follow. So I probably couldn't let any of the kids leave our property. Um, but, but we have, you know, like I said, we have 50 acres so they can do stuff here on the property, but that's something to consider because that would be helpful to them, to the, the warriors, as well as to the kids. I don't know if you know that I started another segment to ATV talk. It's called inspired. Um, I think I remember you mentioning that. Um, in inspired my next, this will air, um, your episode will air at the end of April, but in the beginning of March, um, one of my inspired guests is a Marine warfighter, and he is probably one of the nicest men I've ever met in my life. I knew he was in the military, but I had no idea. Um, when he tells his story, um, it's not graphic. It's pretty, pretty eye-opening. Um, and I have a couple other gentlemen that are coming on that were in the military and their stories are all, um, pretty amazing. Uh, mm-hmm. and I'm, I'm working on some retired police officers and some retired firefighters as well as more military. Um, I don't believe that these individuals get enough recognition in today's world. I know that everybody, you know, always claps for this first responders, but nobody listens to their story. Right. Yeah. That I'm glad you're doing that. That's great. And you know, that reminds me, in our March issue, we have an article that Admiral Mike sent in, um, and it's a tribute to Bruce Myers, the creator of the Myers Manx, who passed away just recently at age 94. And we ourselves only associated him with the Myers Manx. We had no idea his military background and history. And, and so the opening pages in our March issue is... Um, a military ship being bombed by the Japanese and he was on that ship and he was one of the ones that helped to prevent it from sinking. He was only 19 at the time. And so an amazing story, kind of like what you're probably discovering with the people that you're interviewing. And so when Admiral Mike wrote this tribute to him, the probably half of the tribute is his military background. It's, it's, that's not even talking about the creation of the Myers Manx, which is what, he became so famous for. So if people go on our website, ssorm.com, and I know this will air after March, but these are going to be available indefinitely. You click on the super digital link at the top and then scroll down and find the March issue and then read that story about Bruce Myers. It's really amazing. It's And it's an inspiring one um, too. That I think people would get a lot out of if they read the story. I'm so I'm glad you're doing those segments. I, I just, um, I just, st- I started ATV talk to give back. I've had such mm-hmm. an amazing life with ATVs and I have so many stories that, that I only get to tell a few of them, but I started mm-hmm. to realize all of the men and women that I know in the industry have no outlet. Right. 
Yeah. The people that I get to talk to, some of the older guys, some of the older ladies, uh, even the younger ones. Uh, and I have as many of the, the, the ladies on as I can get because they get less coverage. Um, and I mm-hmm. want them to, I want them to get their coverage that they deserve and hopefully that it helps them with sponsorship or helps them, you know, do other things or get noticed for their skill. Right. Yeah. And it, that's, it's, that's great. Well, it's, it's, how can you give back to somebody something when you're so passionate about it? And I just love the industry that I'm in and I love to get what I, I love doing what I do. Um, and I want everybody to know how awesome it is and, and open the door for more people to do this. Um, uh-huh. I think that I think it's a great idea what you've come up with. Yeah. I think that you coming on the show and talking about your magazine and how people can get on there is going to help the distribution for yourself. And, um, I want to make sure that when we're done today, I have a couple questions for you after we stop taping, if, if you don't mind. Okay, sure. That'll be fine. That's awesome. But I want to extend the invitation to you and, and the off-road or SNS to come back and talk to us at any time. And if you have updates or you have new things that you want to do, um, please reach out. We'll always be able to do something with you and, and work with you in, in joint ventures or whatever you need. Um, we love okay. you guys and we love the, the thing that you've done for our, for our hobby in uh, our business and what we love to do every weekend. So um, we appreciate you and we appreciate uh, what you and Steve and uh, I, I know your granddaughter sitting there listening, probably. Um, she's, oh, quite, yes. she's quite the right. She got, uh, she was interviewed on racer radio yesterday on uh, with Dave Stahl. And when it came to listing her sponsor, she had Duncan racing there right at the, you know, right at the top of her list. So she got to give a little plug to you guys yesterday on the radio. That was her first radio experience. So she's not quite as talkative as I am, but we're going to get her there to where she will be. And, and yeah, her bike just runs awesome after you guys worked on it. And, and, uh, well, and, and Steve, you know, his bike is great. Well, I thank you for that. We, we do our best and, and I've never been on the radio. So she's one up on me. That's yeah, and that's live. And she and I were talking about how when they have commercial breaks and then we're talking about other stuff, I told her, Boy, you really got to be careful because if you're not aware when the commercial ended and you're still talking and that microphone's right there, and maybe you didn't mean for what you were saying, you know, to be going out to the world. So the, the, it's going to take, I think, about a week and they're going to have a copy for her so she can sit and listen to it. That's and uh, nice. we'll have fun doing that. That's so awesome. Well, isn't she quite the little racer from what I hear? She just really came alive last season. Yes. And, um, her last race of the season, it it was just really spectacular. And Steve was so excited and he had plans to take her to a different track the following week because that season was closing. But instead the next day she went out and rode in the desert and fell and broke her foot. And now she hasn't raced since November, (laughs) but in April, I think she'll be back on the track and and we'll see how she's doing. But we've got, you know, Steve's got her out riding here after you finished um, working on her bike. So I think that's when we brought the bike to you was when 
she got her foot in the cast because we thought, well, okay, she's not going to be riding for a while. So, you know, Leonard can take a look at the bike then. And um, so they've been riding it here on the property and, and really like the way it's running. And, and we've got one of her competitors. She, she last year just uh, moved up into the men adult mini class racing with the men. And so one of them is coming out here this week and they're going to get some time together out on, it's not really a, a flat track, but it, but the ground's flat and, you know, they, they mark out this little track that they ride on and Steve's going to get on one of the little bikes. And so we're going to have a little flat track practice session going on here. Yeah. If, if she picks up where she left off last season, this is going to be exciting. That's so awesome. Love it. I love to hear that. I like, I love flat tracking on the, on the bikes and, and I got to do it for a number of years. I rode some of my dad's machines and uh, it was a lot of fun, but uh, yeah, that's great. Maybe you guys will be able to come up sometime this year. I'm, I know you I'm hoping to, going on. I'm, I'm really hoping yeah. to. Sherry, again, thank you so much for your time and I appreciate it so much. Uh, we'll get with you again and uh, get you back on the show and have you give us updates on how everything's going and, and make sure that you give us some updates on the, the racer and the family and um, how she's whooping up okay. on all the old men. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, it's uh, been a pleasure. I'm glad you invited me on. Well, it's my pleasure. The team here at ATV Talk would love your feedback. Please email us at hello at ATVTalkPodcast.com. Brought to you by Take-Two Custom Tees. Screen printing experience that is dedicated to quality and customer service every time. San Diego's Body Evolution and Wellness Center. With over 17 years experience, Dr. Heidi looking out after all your chiropractic needs and Coach PJ looking out after all your fitness needs. Visit our website, www.bodyevolution.org or call for an appointment, 619-987-8875. Duncan Technologies International. More than 33 years in the industry building racing programs and ATVs around the world. We build winners. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed the episode. If you did, don't forget to rate us on all available platforms and share us with your loved ones. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook for more ATV Talk News. See you next time.